0: having good relationships and managing these things is hard and it takes work and uh, a lot of feelings come up for everyone in the process. And, uh, and I think the path forward isn't to ignore or, or discount those feelings, but it's also to not let those feelings run the show.
1: Welcome to Life Without Us, a podcast that shares stories about community and connection to inspire more of us to have more us in our lives. I'm Valerie Navarrete, a strategist, facilitator, and community builder who believes deeply that we need to recenter interdependence in order to thrive. On today's episode, I'm excited to be checking back in with season one guest, Craig Rattan. Craig is the senior policy director at the Toronto Region Board of Trade, where he works with the region's business community to develop and promote policies that make it an even better place to live and to work. His current focus is on housing and climate policy. Craig serves on the board of Free Geek Toronto, a technology reuse social enterprise, and was a 2020 Civic Action Diversity Fellow. Craig is an advocate for building livable, inclusive, and resilient communities, and has worked to make positive change through roles in government, not-for-profit organizations, and the private sector. You can find Craig on Twitter at C R U T. That's at C R U T. Craig, welcome back to Life Without Us. Thanks for agreeing to do this follow-up interview.
0: It's so great to be back talking with you, Valerie.
1: Let's uh, let's dive into this. A reminder for folks who either did or did not listen to season one that you previously appeared on the show. Uh, and in your previous Life Without Us appearance, we sat down to chat just three weeks after you, your partner Alex, and your friends Heather and Mike had moved into the home that you, the four of you co-bought together. You've now been living together in the treehouse, as you call it, for almost a year and a half. Tell me. How is the reality stacking up against the vision for your community that you shared with us last year?
0: Thanks. Yeah, it's hard to believe that it has been a year and a half, and I would say so far so good. Uh, it's it's actually been, we still pinch ourselves sometimes about uh, how it's working out. Uh, the the really great thing about our structure of being a duplex where we each have our, our own unit, but choosing to live intentionally together in, in community and working to build community, uh, we've managed to find a really nice flow and a really great uh, opportunity for each of us to to live our, our own lives and, and and have our own space while also taking the time to, to get together and really build the, the community we want. So we've entered a, a rhythm and routine now of uh, cooking for each other every week. On Tuesdays, uh, Alex and I cook on Wednesdays, Mike and Heather cook, and we we share dinner together on Tuesday nights and, and spend that time together to talk, to catch up, to make sure we're uh, touching base and also to talk about any house issues that come up. And once a month, we turn that into a longer house meeting to talk about finances and any projects we're working on. It's It's been a really busy and beautiful year of growing, building a new garden. We had a, a we had to get new dirt for our garden. This is a funny story. We had to get new dirt for our garden uh, last year and Mike accidentally ordered too much. And so uh, we turned it into a bit of a street festival uh, because we needed the street and community to come together quite frankly, to help us clear the mountain of dirt that was sitting <laughs> on the uh, street in front of our house. And so we called it Dirt Day and walked up and down the street and knocked on everyone's door and people came with buckets to take dirt away. And, uh, and that was a really sort of beautiful moment of really feeling like we had, we'd landed and established this, this community house. And, uh, and I, I know our vision is to do more things like that and, and create more space. It's, it's been a busy year with uh, some, some renos that Mike and Heather are doing right now with, uh, we'll talk more about this later, but planning a laneway house that we're intending to construct uh, in the next few months and, and just life in general. Uh, and and so there's definitely, you know, the the community is still growing and taking shape, but I I, I feel really good and, and I think we all feel really good about where it is right now.
1: Amazing. I'm I'm so happy for you all. Thank you for for sharing, you know, the 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 rhythms and the routines and, and rituals that you all have and and also the opportunities that you've had to sort of engage with your with your broader community. Um, my next question, you can sort of take in, in either direction, and it could be, you know, some, some, something you wish you had known because, uh, you know, something hasn't worked out well or just uh, something you wish you could have told yourself to to reassure yourself of what was to come. But I'm, I'm curious if you could send a message back in time to yourself, Alex, Heather, and Mike, just as you started the process of co-founding The Treehouse what's one piece of advice or, or insight you would have wanted the four of you to have?
0: I would say I'd really like us to be patient and open to how things will evolve and change. And I think when we started, there was a lot of excitement and also I think some, uh, nervousness about, uh, what it, what it will become and and trying to, to plan and foresee for all the potential eventualities and, and handling everything uh, and uh, knowing how it has evolved to date and the way that we've managed to each find our roles and routines. And most importantly, to just keep talking together and, and sort through things as they come up. Uh, I would say, you know, take 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 it easy and trust that the the process will work and that you're living with good humans who can can work through these things together and 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 if i can add one one bonus one it would be just being really mindful and thoughtful about how we share our story mm-hmm. uh, i think we you know advocacy is one of the values that we all hold as part of this community and wanting to share our experience with co-housing and co-ownership and help spread the word and encourage others to, to think about this option in this path. And sometimes I think our, our story we've managed to share really clearly and uh, and in the, in a way that feels good for us. And uh, some other times, you know, there's was at least one media story where we actually didn't feel super comfortable after it came out.
1: Can you elaborate a bit there? Cause I think framing is really important, right? I mean, part of this podcast is about, you know, having people have more us, whether that is living in community or that's other ways of being more intentional about um, you know, the relationships in our lives. So what's important for you all to get right about the framing?
0: For us, I think it's it's really important that it is framed not as a sort of wacky sideshow as I think it can can easily be be taken of, you know, these look, look at these four millennials. And and I think it's also, you know, not framing it as a story of Hacking the real estate market, uh, that it is really about a, I think, two main things. One, that it's a, it's a choice and a choice to live in community and find a model that works for us and, and take advantage of an, an option that's out there, uh, while knowing that this isn't the option that's going to work for everybody. And the, the other piece of that is making sure people are aware of the, the benefits and the how to do this. And wanting to come at it from a place of of serving as a a resource and an an opportunity for education to hopefully broaden people's mind and perspective and think about some, think about something and and realize that it's maybe more possible than they initially thought it was.
1: I hear you on that. It's like, on the one hand, this is awesome. Everybody like, listen up. It's not some weird thing. It's actually, you know, um, the super intentional way of living that nourishes you, et cetera. And, and rah, rah, it has to also be balanced with, you know, it's also hard. And here's some ways in which we, you know, you, you might do things to help increase the success of it. And and here's some things to avoid. Um, so how do you, how do you ensure that nuance gets articulated?
0: absolutely yeah it has to be eyes wide open if people go into this right it isn't isn't entirely easy and you're dealing with more people and there are a lot of perks like the the fact that you can share the i have no idea how a couple manage the running of a house <laughs> like the the cleaning the maintenance the gardening, like there's so much that goes into maintaining property that uh, it is such a relief to have other people to uh, take on some of that load.
1: Yeah. Not to mention there's food shared and cooked and you don't have to do that all on your own. That was always one of the the major bonuses for me. And I I love to cook, but I mean, there are so many hours in the week and so, speaking of you know lessons learned, or or maybe you're in the process of learning this, I know that uh, a laneway house is something that we talked about last time, and I believe there's been some updates, and I'm I'm super pumped to hear. Uh, what can you tell us about how this is how this is unfolding?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really exciting. Uh, we we knew when we bought the house that it had the potential, and. Our, our vision was always for a community with more units, with more people who can, who can live together and uh, really getting to grow that. So over the last year, we've you know, assessed the feasibility and we hired an architect who we've been working with to design the house and, and you know, make sure that it, it can fit within uh, what, what works in the city. And so what we've ended up with is a, about a 1,200-square-foot, two-story laneway house where our existing garage is. It's about the same size as the two units inside the house. And the plan is for Alex and me to move out there once it's completed. And so it, it's, a, we, it's a really special privilege to be able to design a house from scratch in a city like Toronto, you know, steps from, from Bloor and Dufferin, from one of the biggest intersections of the city. And we're really mindful of that. Uh, and yeah, so it's been a, it's been a really exciting process of figuring out what's possible. Uh, we uh, are also, you know, from my housing policy perspective, I've uh, been it, it's been a good learning opportunity to get to go through some of these city processes and uh, get get caught up in some of them. So we need to go to committee of adjustment for the house in a few weeks uh, for a very minor variance where the. So the existing garage, uh, it fills out the entire width of our lot, which is about 30 feet. And the bylaws, the bylaws says two things for as of right laneway houses. The max width is 26 feet, but also you are allowed to reuse an existing structure. And that, it, and, and that, it's, and that it's better to do that, right? You're not wasting yeah. new materials. And, and if it's already there already, obviously it's not causing that many problems. So when we uh, put in our plans to the city, they recognize that the, uh, you know, that the existing structure is fine and is conforming for the first story, but for the second story going on, on top of it, they, they deem that to be non, non-conforming so that it is a little too wide and a little too close to the laneway. And again, all we're wanting to do is build straight up from the walls that are there already. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, you sort of, you sort of smack your head and say, and say, really, is that, is that really? I just feel like, uh, is it not no more
1: disruptive for it to be bigger on the bottom than the top? Like what is it being who is it disrupting that second
0: layer? Absolutely. Yeah. It's not like it's cutting into the laneway any more than the garage is there already. It's not any closer to the neighbors and uh and it would you know lead to a much more energy inefficient house, quite frankly. Um so on, on every level you'd think that this is is something that uh again it, it from my housing policy perspective, this is this is the challenge of those rules and how they're interpreted, right? They're in interpreted very strictly. And then this process comes in. So it means, you know, some more cost and some more delay in the process and a little more uncertainty. Uh, and, and so it, it's a good learning for me about, you know, how, how important it is and how, how difficult it is, I think, to uh, create real permissions in the city that, you know, it. in many of these cases, it becomes very black and white with what's in the regulation. And uh, I just wish there was a way to put like a common sense filter on.
1: (laughs) Well, the problem is, who's common sense, right? (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Yeah, Um, this is really exciting. I'm, I'm a little frustrated on your behalf that you do have to go to the committee. Uh, At the same time, as you said, from from your policy hat perspective, that it's such a good example of the fact that you're doing something that we literally, like, as you know the folks in Toronto know needs to be done. There needs to be densification. We need more people living on the existing properties and, and it's hard to do it. And, and that's, you know, that's frustrating and you're doing it. Like I have every confidence, you know, you'll, you'll figure your way through this. And so I'm curious if, if all goes well, what's the timeline before the move can happen, the move in. So you, you move to the, to the, I don't know if you'll give a new name, but to the to the laneway house of the tree house, the tree lane house, lane tree house. And then more people move in. What's the timeline for that? How long until that expansion happens of your community? Yeah.
0: Yeah. In the in the best case scenario, we're we'd be hoping to start construction in late fall, probably November. And uh, we've been told that it would hopefully be ready for occupancy by next summer. Uh, and, you know, if, if we can't quite, if that doesn't quite work out, then the goal would be to break ground in the spring and then sort of by probably by fall or late fall um, next year, be ready for, for that growth and expansion of the community, which is a, you know, a whole other chapter in discussion that we'll have to dive into in more detail about, you know, who, ha- how we grow that. And, um, and it's, it's a really great opportunity that, that we're taking to, to really get clear on what what this community is and what we aspire for it to be and, uh, and and sharing that and seeing who, you know, is interested in, in helping to build and participate in that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, is, it is really, it's, I actually discussed that on season one, uh, you know, how do you choose with whom you do this? You know, there's a, a sort of very altruistic, like I can get along with anyone kind of, a uh, sentiment that starts to come up and then then you have to really back that up and 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 think about well what who with whom would we have the best you know values alignment the the best sort of shared vision for what the community is um but but it could be hard to to draw lines right like it uh it's needed and and it can be hard. I'm I'm not gonna dive us into this. I actually I have a follow-up question that is completely unrelated. Great. But uh I just I remembered that in our last episode together, our last interview together, you mentioned the potential of a sauna in the backyard. And so I'm curious whether the Laneway House has meant no sauna or if you figured out a way to do it all.
0: We uh very excitedly have uh have have held the potential for the sauna, so it's not going to be part of the laneway build. Um, but we have, you know, made sure that there would be space and then the right connections to be able to add it on to the uh, to the outside of the of the laneway house. So the the sauna vision and dream is still alive.
1: Sauna lives on. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm going to quote you from season one, uh, where you said. It's both the policy work I do, but also my personal belief that to be more sustainable environmentally and socially, we should be living more densely together and finding more ways to live better together. And when you said that, you talked specifically about making the missing middle, uh, you know, to use a term you, you referenced earlier in the show, uh, making the missing middle as of right. Right. Meaning, folks can build it without needing to go to committee for permission. Um, so you mentioned that as a really important policy change, and I'm wondering if you can just share an update on your work on this issue.
0: Yeah, since we last spoke, I've been leaning into this space even more. Uh, with through through the board and 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 with uh, colleagues and, and members of the board, we released a paper in December uh, 2021 uh, called. Meeting in the Middle, that was a set of recommendations for the province to really take the lead on on making making it possible to build four units on a residential lot in cities and towns across the entire province. Really recognizing that this housing crisis has spiraled far beyond any one municipality's control and uh, just seeing the process in the city of Toronto, which has started to take an interest and made some movement on it. Uh, but it takes a long time. And and given the crisis, we don't have the time to wait. Uh, I mean, in Toronto's example, they, they, you know, this first started getting talked about maybe seven or eight years ago. And I think in earnest, about three years ago, the city said, okay, we want to do something and started a work plan. uh, And uh, they've just decided they have finally some staff recommendations back. They set up a, a round table of stakeholders to get more consultation, which I was, uh, really happy to be part of and, and to be part of those conversations, and uh, and the report came back uh, in in July this year and recommended, you know, that they go out and do some more consultation and come <laughs> back in early 2023. So you know, in a best case scenario, it's four years since they officially fired the starting pistol at uh, at City Hall to get these rules done, and and Toronto's the the place where it really should be a no brainer, and uh, and. There's a lot of other cities, you know, across the province where it also should happen. But the the challenge is the the municipal municipal processes move slowly, and I think they're the ones who are the the who hear the most and are the most connected to local residents who are the most opposed to change and the most most scared of uh, of those changes. And I think on something like this, where it is so needed, and there is a. Uh, a real opportunity now to, to address the housing crisis, you know, to try and stop it from getting worse, that there is a need for provincial leadership. And, you know, there, there is a, there is a roadmap. The, the province set up a, a housing affordability task force. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think they would say as well, that our report helped influence them and, uh, and they included a recommendation in their report for the province to, to legalize fourplexes, of, you know, everywhere in the province.
1: Thank you for your work on this issue. Thank you for your work with the city, for your your work with the province. Um, it, It is needed. It's needed. We need densification. We need more housing, period, full stop. You know, we also know folks like you and I, who, and many others who, who believe in living in community as being something that's good for your health and good for, um, environmental and social social health, that the housing stock needs to be available, or you need to have the permission to build, (laughs) um, multi-unit housing in order to, in order to, you know, create these types of co-housing and co-living scenarios. So, Mm -hmm. um, Many of us agree Uh, there's been some movement politically, and and I want to talk a little bit about what the resistance is. So from my understanding, a big part of the pushback and and barriers to multiplexes is sort of a a subset of existing homeowners, uh, as well as the elected officials that cater to those folks. Uh, who see the addition of anything other than single family homes to their neighborhoods as a huge threat. And for some folks, that threat is, you know, just the idea of it. Like, I don't want to see that, Uh, you know, and some people will sort of tie it to the the value of their own property. Uh, Although as we've been seeing the market fluctuate recently, I, you know, wonder if there's a bit too much given to that, that sentiment, but yeah, I'm wondering if you could, could, talk a little bit about what you think it's going to take to to change public opinion on this issue
0: yeah it's such a it's such a challenging issue and it's one that uh, that I could sometimes get myself worked up about as well and and where I, I really do try and and struggle to, to to both to empathize and to try to try and see where they're coming from in order to see you know what what is the way to changes attitude, what's sort of lying at the root of it. And, uh, and, you know, I, I think there is a, there is a lot of, yeah, ultimately it comes down to a resistance to change, I think, and a fear of change and what that Mm. means. There's a lot of love and emotion. I think that people have tied up in, in their homes and this biggest investment and purchase that they'll ever make. And, uh, a lot of Ownership over the the feeling and, and there's I think a hint of nostalgia there too, particularly in single family home neighborhoods uh, where they have you know certain expectations and uh, and a sense of commitment to this idealized version of the post war boom and a lot of the the people who are leading this charge are you know. Older and have lived in those neighborhoods for decades, which introduces an interesting tension because they, because of their longevity, they feel like their voice has a, a you know stronger and more important place that they're fighting for history. At the same time, uh, their home value has probably increased tenfold or more, and the the price that their home was the price of their home when they bought it. Uh, Probably wouldn't even cover the down payment now mm. on that house. Mm.
1: In and other words, if they were if they were trying to enter that neighborhood in the current moment, they wouldn't have been able to, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's become calcified, and and that those and those are the questions that I want to ask. Right? Is yeah. if you did not have this wealth that has accumulated in in this this house that you purchased decades ago, that you know that I'm sure if you purchased, if you ever asked will your house be worth two million dollars, they would laugh at you. They couldn't possibly imagine that. And yet here we are where even average homes in 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 cities like you know Kitchener are are at a million dollars. And and it it creates this this tension and this real wall between the haves and the have nots. And I think this is a really critical moment for wealth inequality in In our city, in our province, in our country, and if we don't solve and address this and create opportunities and openings, then it is an entire generation. It's multiple generations. You know, there's part parts of of millennials have managed to get access to home ownership. I would say elder millennials, you know, who managed to buy 12 years ago might have been able to do it off their own savings and income, and since then, anyone I think who's entered in, almost everyone, including us in our situation, has relied on family money, on family wealth to be able to access it. And, and if things don't change now, then we are going to enter that, that two-cased system of landowners and renters, and there is going to be no ladder or pathway to cross between them. And mm-hmm. That's, I think, really problematic for our society.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's the it's the antithesis of you know we need we need more community, we need more uh, social connection, and and we need to live more densely because it's what our planet needs, right? I mean, we're literally mm-hmm. seeing the, the impacts of this uh, right now in in various climate crisis related you know happenings. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about you know, again, just building on that question of how do we change people's minds? You know, what, what needs to be done? What could someone like you or me do? So there's a trauma-based group that's been getting a lot of conversation going on, on this topic. And they're, I know you're familiar with them. They're called more neighbors. And I love that they framed it positively, right? They're not saying multiplexes must happen. And they're not, um, you know, they're not saying, uh, Uh, you know, existing residents, you got to sort of get with the program or get out. They're actually talking about, you know, that, that really nice, inclusive language of how do we, how do we have and enable more neighbors in our existing neighborhoods? So I'm wondering what you think of groups like that. Like, is that, do we need more people to join these types of groups? Do they potentially provide some sort of counterbalance to, um, the sort of typical neighborhood association that usually only includes a small subset of homeowners um, typically leaves out the voices of, of renters or potential future residents. Um, is something like that uh, helpful?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of more neighbors, and have had the chance to work with them on a, on a few uh, few events and, and issues. And and yeah, it it, it is the we do live in a democracy still, right? Uh, and uh, democracy happens between elections, and it's about showing up and participating. And so that's where groups like this are are really valuable. And they're, you know, they're both, I think, influencing and changing the public conversation on platforms like Twitter and uh, and through the media. And they're doing the hard work of showing up to the community consultations that get put on by the city where often the only people who bother to show up are those, you know, that subset of the established folks in the residence associations who are there to say no or make it smaller or not here. And, and usually there's no voices in support. So this is the group of, um, you know, as a, another, another group that sort of, that works with them as well, Housing NowTO, it's really focused on affordable rental. Um, they have a, a phrase they love called the, the Future Residence Association.
1: Love it. it.
0: It's great. And it it captures the challenge, right? That if you're only talking to the people who are there, you're not fully embracing the fact that cities are changing and and growing organisms and that the, the city of Toronto is growing. This is where jobs and opportunities are. And and even as other areas continue to grow as well, you know, not obviously not everyone in Ontario can live in Toronto, nor should they, nor do they want to. But Right now, we're facing a challenge where people who do want to live in Toronto are being forced out because they can't afford it, or there's no options that work for their family or their situation. And so, having groups that are are coming out and doing that work and speaking at meetings and and advocating for you know those future residents who don't live in that neighborhood yet but would love to, and for uh, and, and trying to to build that that more inclusive vision and uh i i think are a are a huge part of it and and that is the the need here i think and that's you know i don't i don't fully know how we get there but ultimately what we need to do is realize we're all in the same boat and it isn't uh an us versus them or uh you know we the innocent residents versus the evil evil developers or the you know low income housing or you know, whatever whatever's getting vilified that day at committee of adjustment or at city council, it it's really understanding that we're we're all in the we're all in the same boat. We're all in this together, and we need to find a way to to grow and accommodate that. And that it's not possible in in this day and age with the challenges we're facing to say no and try and keep neighborhoods preserved in amber.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I think what a beautiful vision if if your street or any street in Toronto was filled with other tree houses with mm-hmm. duplexes that are in the process of building laneway houses that are going to house more people. And, you know, it's not a panacea, it's not going to solve all the housing issues. Um, but it certainly will allow us to house more people with the existing land. And not only that, but do it in a way that as we've discussed and your examples at the at the start of the interview uh, really contributes to social health as well, right? I mean, people cooking dinner for each other, as you mentioned, helping to run a house, which, you know, for some bizarre reason we've spent, I don't know, maybe it's not even a century where that's been primarily a couple or a single person that has done that I think you know historically people often did did live more densely and and it does take many hands so you know how do we get there and and that kind of leads me to my final question for you Craig which is is a hard one and and it's okay <laughs> I'm not expecting you to have all the answers but I think it's really important to remember that the missing middle is not affordable housing right like it's housing that's Within the financial reach of a slightly broad, broader base of home buyers, um, but it's not—it's not affordable housing, you know. And and so I'm wondering if we're struggling as a society, you know, as in Toronto, as a province in Ontario, if we're struggling this much to get a green light on allowing people to build slightly more financially accessible housing through, as of right, multiplexes. What do you think the advocacy that's needed uh, is to sort of shake us up into a place where we actually make moves and policy change to ensure socially and environmentally sustainable housing for for everyone, right? Like for all of our residents.
0: there's There's a few ingredients I think that need to go into making this possible. One is money. It needs to be identified as a priority and governments need to be devoting money to building deeply affordable housing uh, because there's no way the market can deliver it on its own uh, especially with rising construction costs and interest rates uh, there also needs to be it it's, it's been an interesting roadblock that people throw up people say you know well they shouldn't build this condo or this rental building or this you know triplex because it's not affordable we should only build affordable and and again it, it's I it's realizing we're all in the same boat and that it is a, a continuum along the housing path. And uh, if you don't build housing that, you know, young professionals or middle, you know, high income workers can afford and we're reaching the place in Toronto or even high income workers, mm-hmm. you know, unless they get that, that nest egg of a down payment can't afford to buy something either. If we don't have options for them, then that means they're going to be eating up more housing that is more affordable for people who are in less than that. And so it, it really needs to be that, that question of how do we build all of these things and stop fighting each of the pieces and realize that we, we need to build much more. So it, it comes down, I think, a bit to system ambition and to mm-hmm. ambition of governments to say, let's let's open the doors and build a lot more of all of these things and find models that work, right? Like there, the, the Housing Now uh, projects from the city are I think a, a good example of uh, an, of being able to to take city owned land and put together projects where it's a mixture of market and when you add enough density that market can allow you to build you know about a third uh, of that building as affordable rental or affordable ownership and, uh, and and the next hurdle we need to overcome is that when you uh, if when you make that a little more dense you create more homes both at market rate and that are affordable. And so it's it's really this mindset shift of not viewing density as a negative, but looking at the positives that come with it, and figuring out how to make it uh, make it work alongside creating vibrant communities. That it isn't an either-or. That we we can have it all, but it requires people to be willing to change their conception and their vision of of what is possible and to you know accept that, that maybe this change could be good, that it could be better than their, their fears suggest.
1: I love that. And I think that's, that's a lot of it, right? I mean, there's so many places in the world that live more densely. How do we get people to stop thinking dense equals uh, a loss of neighborhood and instead, you know, to borrow from the more neighbors group that, that more is better and, and mm. that that's, that's absolutely possible. Uh, Craig thank you so much for joining me again. I'm so excited to hear how you all have been doing and to know that there's there's more growth to come. Uh just before we we close off was there anything else that you wanted to share any other um, updates or
0: one other thing that we've been learning through this laneway house process is more about our our relationships with our neighbors and with with building those communities and uh, again, change, change can be difficult, right? Even something as, as maybe simple and, and small as a laneway house uh, when it, it is a change that has some sort of impact on, on direct neighbors. And, and so we're having some of those conversations with our neighbors right now, and we'll see how that unfolds. But it's, it is giving me more insight and, and pause for reflection on uh, on, on, how, on how to manage some of these changes and um, and just and setting expectations. And I think knowing that, you know, be, having good relationships and managing these things is hard and it takes work and uh, a lot of feelings come up for everyone in the process. And uh, and I think the path forward isn't to ignore or, or discount those feelings, but it's also to not let those feelings run the show. And, mm-hmm. to, uh, and to, you know, create space while still, you know, holding true to values and to the, the vision of the city that, um, that I know is needed, and that I know many people support as well.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I'm hearing this sort of loop back to where we started. So, you know, number one, more is better. You know, we mm-hmm. need more us. Number two, and it's hard. Number three, it's worth it, you know, see number one. So um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> thank you for sharing. Uh, so much luck and love is, is sent your way as you all continue on this journey and uh, look forward to hearing that, how that unfolds. Hopefully in a less than a year from now, there'll be more people living at the tree house. Uh, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thanks, Valerie. And we can't wait to have you over.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Without Us. I've been your host, Valerie Navarrete. I partner with people and organizations dedicated to social change, and I am an audacious believer in the centrality of us to that work. If you or someone you know is in need of a strategist, facilitator, speaker, or coach who centers community, I'd love to hear from you. Reminder to check the show notes for links to information shared in today's episode, to please share this podcast with a community lover in your life, and to come interact with me online. You can get bonus content and sign up for my newsletter at lifewithoutuspod.com. And you can hang out with me on Instagram at lifewithoutuspod. I'll see you there.